You need to know how everything works in your business, but yet you need to have the confidence and the guts to delegate it as soon as possible because too many entrepreneurs end up doing everything five years into their business. And that's why they're working in their business and not on their business. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, where we examine the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. Our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we wanted to get behind the minds the logic and the science of what it takes to build a business like this we've had some incredible guests like bobby edwards the founder of squatty potty who built a 35 million dollar per year company with just 17 employees and jp sears the youtube superstar whose videos are going viral all over the internet i'm your host chris reynolds and we hope you enjoy the show the business method Today, listeners, joining us is the superhuman entrepreneur and author, Jonathan Levy. Since 2014, Jonathan has been one of the top performing instructors on the internet with his course series, Become a Super Learner, that has over 110,000 students. After successfully selling his Inc. Magazine 5,000 rated business in 2011, he has become a proficient life hacker, optimizing and hacking such processes as travel, sleep, language learning, and fitness. Jonathan is the author of Become a Super Learner, the book and the host of Becoming Superhuman podcast. Jonathan's been featured on publications such as the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, TEDx, Entrepreneur on Fire, Mixer G, Eventual Millionaire, Nanatin Television, the Silicon Valley Business Journal, the Solopreneur Hour, and the Smart People podcast. If you guys want to learn more about becoming superhuman, this is the podcast for you. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Jonathan Levy, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm feeling blissed and blessed, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. And I hear you're calling in from Tel Aviv today. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. I have a nice little studio that I built so I can do these interviews in my underwear, and it still sounds great. (laughs) Are you from Israel or from Silicon Valley? I am originally from Silicon Valley. I lived there till I was 24, and then I made a lifestyle upgrade coming to uh, Tel Aviv, which is kind of my favorite place on earth. Why do, you cho- why do you like Tel Aviv? The people, the culture, and I also, what I like about it is, more specifically in the culture, I find that in Silicon Valley, where I'm from, everyone wants to be something they're not, to kind of quote Guy Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. And in Tel Aviv, everyone's pretty happy being what they are. They just want to be the best versions of themselves. And so people very rarely ask you, these kind of superfluous, really shallow questions like how much money did you raise and you know, how many customers do you have and, and all this kind of stuff. And in fact, it's, they're more interested in what kind of business you're running. Um, I have issues with the Israeli kind of startup ecosystem as well, but I find that I'm just a happier, healthier person mentally and physically living uh, here in this culture. That makes perfect sense. 
Tell me, what's a good way to recognize a person that wants to be something that they're not and a person that wants to be more more complete of themselves? That is a brilliant question. And I, I went through kind of a really intense period of life discovery as one does in their 20s. And I asked myself a lot of the same question. And, and what it came down to me, Chris, what came down to for me, Chris, <laughs> was that Someone who's trying to be something they're not is slogging through with the impression of when I jest, then I'll be happy, right? It's, it's the same kind of dichotomy between this idea of presence and, and enjoying the moment and being grateful for what you have versus ambition and motivation and trying to create. So how do you, how do you juxtapose those two things together? How do you balance them? And what I realized is that there's one it's it's one thing to work from a place of enjoyment and love for what you do. And if you look at the greatest companies in the world, they're built by people who just loved going into work every day, love the products that they were building, love the mission that they were accomplishing. And if you look at the startups that fizzle out and burn and, you know, Silicon Valley, the, the hidden secret, not so hidden of Silicon Valley is nine out of 10 companies fail within five years, right? And And what you see is a lot of entrepreneurs who say, when we jest, then it'll be amazing. You know, when we just raise money, when we just get our first thousand customers, when we just sell our company, when we just IPO. And you see this in, in personal lives and in professional lives. And I grew up, you know, in a very ambitious kind of Jewish family. And to this day, I've changed my mindset, but to this day, a lot of my family will say, oh, you know, when you just, and it was when you just get into college, then it was when you just get into graduate school. And then it was, when you just buy your first home, and every milestone, it, it kind of feels like, you know, uh, the father who hops into the pool to teach his kid how to swim and always keeps pushing back. Mm -hmm. So I, I find that that's very much the the mindset of Silicon Valley is, you know, when I just have my own company, and then you get your own company, you say, well, when I just sell the company, then you you sell the company, you say, well, when I just raise my own VC fund, it's never good enough, uh, and and I think that. I, I think I'm not the only person who's noticed that about Silicon Valley. Uh, and I think people here are just so much more grateful for what they have and what they're able to build. I also do want to say that here I am, I feel more blessed by comparison. Salaries are lower here. Uh, opportunities are, are somewhat lower, you know, because English isn't as good or whatever reason it might be. But, um, I spend time, I'll, I'll hang out with entrepreneurs from the US and you know, occasionally someone will come visit. I was hanging out with Noah Kagan not too long ago, chatting up with Cameron Harold. And if I spend too, too much time with folks at that level, I start to compare myself to them or I start to ask myself questions like, am I doing enough? If I don't spend enough time around entrepreneurs like that, of course I, I become, I get an ego about me and I'm not motivated and, and stuff like that. But I find that here I feel so blessed uh, and, and I don't compare myself to others. So long-winded question about, <laughs> or long-winded answer, but. But a great answer. What's a good way to, to recognize in yourself, or because I see entrepreneurs doing this all the time, when you just, when you just, when you just. Even myself, like I've been practicing personal development for 10 years, I work really hard at it, but I still see myself, catch myself doing it. So what are some ways that you personally some techniques used to avoid or to recognize when you're doing this other than surrounding yourself with 
those entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley. Yeah. That's a really good question. And, and you remind me of an interview I recently did with Daniel Geffen, who ironically is actually here in Israel. He's one of the few podcasters internationally known who's also based in Israel like myself. So he and I bonded over that. Uh, and his, his book is all about being a, a self-help addict. And I immediately identified with that concept. So we, we talked about it, but what I've realized, uh, is, and, and I have to admit that like CrossFit and exercise and, and being a fitness geek has really taught me this. And then I've applied it to my business. What I realized is that the best comparison you can make is comparison to yourself and past self. So I try not to spend too, too much time living in the past or in the future. I really live by the credo that all depression comes from living in the past and all the anxiety comes from living in the future. But you can also utilize that, harness that to your advantage. So take exercising, for example. It's really easy when you're in a class of 20 people and the workout is being timed and you look around and, and people are a minute ahead of you in the workout. It's really easy to go, wow, I'm such a fat piece of crap. Uh, but if you timed yourself on that exact same workout six weeks ago and you go, wait a minute, I'm up 30 seconds, I'm faster by 30 seconds, it's really great to feel, it's a really great feeling, it's really easy to feel great. And the same goes for my business. You know, when I, and, and I'm very blessed in my business and, and I constantly, every single day, can't believe the company that we built and the people that I get to work with and the people that I get to serve. But if I spend too much time reading John Lee Dumas's, uh, you know, audited financials that he posts every month where he's making a million a month, uh, I start to feel kind of crappy about my business. And then I, I turn and I look back and I say, oh my God, two years ago, you know, this business was doing $7,000 a month. And, and that comparison allows you to feel this huge sense of accomplishment. So it's, it's, I think competition against yourself in comparison to your prior self is one of the best tools I know for doing that in a healthy way. That's a great answer. I want to talk about kind of your past a bit, Jonathan. You sold your business, I think in 2014 and it was a Inc. Magazine 5,000, top 5,000 rated startup. Is that correct? That is correct. What business was it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll make a small correction, which is it wasn't a startup. I'm I'm pretty anti-startup okay. and I'm pro-small business. Uh, and we can get into the distinction later. But what it was, really, really kind of funny story. When I was 16 years old, I got my first car and I got really obsessed. This was like after the Fast and the Furious. I got really obsessed with modifying cars, customizing them, personalizing them. I was always kind of a, a gearhead and very hands-on. I like to build things with my hands. So I got into customizing luxury cars and we ended up being one of the top suppliers on the web uh, and in doing import, export, all kinds of white label products, just a whole kind of vertically integrated luxury car parts company specializing mostly in BMW. Uh, and we built that up to a almost a $3 million a year business. And then I looked around and kind of hated my life and hated the situation that I was in. And one of my partners was going off to business school. So uh, I decided it was a very good time, perhaps a little bit too late <laughs> to get out of that business and, uh, and do something bigger and, and maybe more impactful on people's lives. Was that 2014 when you sold it? It was. Yeah, I believe it was. Were you mm -hmm. clear on what you wanted to do next after you sold it? Like you had some idea or did you take some time to take a bit of a sabbatical to get more clarity on what was the next step for you? 
mm-hmm. I thought I was clear and uh, and part of that clearness was going on sabbatical. So my idea was, you know, I was still very heavily entrenched in the Silicon Valley culture. So my idea was I'm going to go to Stanford next year. I'm going to start a venture-backed startup. It's going to grow to be a billion-dollar business. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to become a billionaire. And then I'm going to start my own VC fund, helping other people do what I did. That was the vision. (laughs) The vision didn't take into consideration that I was miserable living in Silicon Valley. I was miserable around startup culture. I was miserable investing in other businesses and not just doing it myself. Uh, You know, and ultimately I would end up doing none of those things and being much happier. (laughs) (laughs) Always choose happiness. Always. So then you started the Become Superhuman movement, correct? Yeah, we skipped a few steps there. So I ended okay. up, I did go to business school. I, uh, I took six months, basically traveled the world, uh, spent some time living in Israel, spent some time traveling Thailand, spent some time living in Nevada, and then ended up going to INSEAD Business School, which nobody knows about, but is technically ranked above Stanford. Uh, I didn't get into Stanford. I would have gone and it would have been the worst thing ever had I gone. But um, spent 10 months doing the MBA and in the process of doing that, tried to launch the venture-backed Silicon Valley startup. So I flew back to Silicon Valley. I think I made it 60 days on the ground before I just broke down and decided that I, I couldn't spend another day there. Moved to Israel and had absolutely no freaking idea what I was gonna do. So I figured, you know, I still have some money coming in every month from real estate that I bought during during the years of running my car parts company. And I had a settlement that they were paying out for the next few years. I said, you know what, I'll do a little side project. I'll kind of fill in that income and that'll buy me runway if it takes me a year or two to find my my next big idea. And from there I went and traveled all over the place. I probably met a hundred different potential co-founders. I flew to conferences in Kenya, in Rwanda. I flew to South Africa. I just volunteered with any startup I could find that interests me in any space I, I possibly could. And all the while, this little side course that I had launched on speed reading and memory, which is stuff that I had kind of privately hired tutors and learned before business school, it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And it took my stubborn ass 14 months to decide, okay, maybe this is the next thing. At that point, we had an audience of about 25,000 people with me doing nothing, right? We had just put this course online. I had kind of done all the groundwork and the speed reading to learn how to produce videos and how to produce online courses. And, you know, how do you how do you build an, a course and make it succeed on a marketplace with, at that time, 30,000 other people competing for attention? Uh, and it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And so from there, as you said, yeah, we launched a another course. Then we published a couple books. Uh, podcast, which is the Becoming Superhuman movement. And uh, today we have all that plus three different premium online course academies in three totally different areas with three totally different sets of partners. And yeah, we're we're pretty heavy in online education. (laughs) What does that mean to you, becoming superhuman? Yeah, that's a really great question. Superhuman for me is, is kind of the type of person who has everything dialed in. So I look at life as a as a pie with eight slices, and those are spirituality, romantic relationships, friends, family, economic 
career satisfaction, adventure and fun, uh, so on and so forth. And to me, superhuman is someone who has all those things dialed in, right? So if you're an amazing triathlete, but your personal life is shit and you're living on the edge of poverty, that's not really superhuman to me. And I think the, the best uh, example of this, one that I really, really like, is this quote by Robert Heinlein, which talks about, you know, a modern human being should be able to skin a pig, commandeer a ship, comfort the dying, change a diaper, change a tire, about 30 different things. And then he says specialization is for insects. <laughs> I like that. And that was by Robert who? Robert Heinlein. I'm going to check that quote out. Yeah, it's it. I mean, I think that that's the that's the definition for me of superhuman. And we try to deliver that on the show. I mean, inevitably, we end up talking about the big three, what I call. So we talk a lot about sleep. Uh, we talk a lot about diet. We talk a lot about exercise. But then given my background in accelerated learning, we talk a lot about learning and memory. And then we get into all the other kind of peripheral stuff that probably everybody knows they should be doing. Uh, meditation, building social relationships. It turns out one of the healthiest things you can do is have a rich social life uh, with the right people. And so we talk about all the the different facets of of improving your performance, whatever performance may mean for you. Who are some examples that you look up to or people that you know that are really good superhumans? Yeah, I mean, the big, easy, obvious one that probably everyone's thinking is uh, Tim Ferriss. But I also, I really think about guys like um, Richard Feynman. Um, living today, you have a lot of them. You see people who are becoming so proudly multi multidisciplinary, and that to me is absolutely superhuman. I imagine you have quite a few hacks for learning more rapidly. What are a few of your favorite? Yeah, absolutely. So the basically the whole super learner method, I mean, we spend... 10 weeks teaching it so people can actually apply it, but it breaks down to a few overarching things that I can give it the 30,000 foot level. The first one is training your, your visual memory so that you learn visually and you create visual symbols for everything that you want to memorize. Uh, and, and just getting to that point is for most modern specialized humans who, who have long since lost their childhood creativity, uh, it's a couple weeks, if not a month of practice to get to the point where you can visualize complex abstract concepts, but it can be done. The second thing is connecting all new information to existing information, existing knowledge in your mind. Uh, our brains operate using something called Hebb's law, which means that neurons that wire together fire together. I can learn it much faster than your average learner because I'm able to map onto existing neural networks. And, uh, and just accelerate the way that I learn. Uh, and then the third thing is, is speed reading. You know, if you can improve the infrastructure of how you memorize, organize, process, and comprehend information, then you can get to a point where you can double or even triple the rate with which you input that information now. A very important caveat here is we're not talking about the 2,000, 5,000, photo reading, you know, read a page in a second, all that stuff is not backed by scientific literature. But even the most critical studies, uh, quote unquote, disproving speed reading actually state that you can get up to about 600 words per minute and maybe beyond without huge sacrifices in comprehension. So uh, if you can do those three things, and, and this is what we've taught, 
you know, 100 plus thousand people to do. If you can do these three things, it's it's a game changer for you. There's probably very few challenges in our listeners' lives that cannot be surmounted by learning. And this, I mean, the last five years of my life is a testament to that. You wanna create an online course, you can learn how to do that and you can rise to the top of that industry. You wanna publish books, you can do that. You wanna learn how to manage people better because your last business was a, a management failure and you wanna learn how to work within different cultures and have people from nine different countries on your team, you can learn how to do that. Uh, you wanna learn new industry niches so you can launch new company branches in those niches, you can do all that. And and along the way, you know, I've learned a number of sports, a number of musical instruments, a number of languages, and um, and I don't even devote that much time to learning, to be honest with you. On your podcast, the Becoming Superhuman podcast, you've interviewed over 160 people. I'd like to know who you think is the most impressive superhuman. David Heidermeyer Hansen. Why? Um, so for those who don't know, I actually just interviewed him a second time, and that one hasn't come out yet. Uh, but David is the co-founder and co-CEO of a company called Basecamp, which is one of the largest private companies running a task management software. They compete against Asana, Trello, Podio, and uh, they are not a startup. They are a business. They have not taken VC money. They are patently against VC money. And all that would be super impressive by itself, but David also invented Ruby on Rails, uh, which is the software development platform that Fiverr, Shopify, early version of Twitter, Yellow Pages, GitHub, like most of the websites that people, not most, but many of the websites that people use every single day were built on a technology that he invented in his underwear, which I think is really <laughs> amazing. He recently invented another web development framework that he's rolling out worldwide, and he does all this free. He uh, he has published three best-selling books on how to run your business better, they are each phenomenal. And then in his spare time, he's also an award-winning race car driver, despite the fact that he didn't have a driver's license until he was like 20-something. <laughs> and in a matter of years, he became not only trained, but also one of the best in his class. Uh, that's an impressive, impressive, impressive human being. He's also just a, a brilliant guy, really, really personable really fun to talk to. And uh, our first episode with him actually won us Product Hunt's uh, best podcast episode of the year. We got a Golden Kitty Award. Wow, very nice. Who would you say out of all the people you've interviewed is the best superhuman or the most impressive superhuman when it comes to scaling business rapidly? That's a tough question because I try to shy away because my background is business and entrepreneurship and I've kind of had it up to my ears. Um, a little bit of background, I was the president of the Silicon Valley chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a worldwide, one of the biggest entrepreneurial groups. Uh, so I spent years like flying around the world going to conferences and hearing all these business speakers and listening to Vern Harnish and, and you know, having dinner with Cameron Harold, And so like uh, one of the things I didn't want to cover on this podcast was business. Um, that might change. I might do a new podcast specifically focused on internet business. Um, so we haven't had a lot of big business guys. I would say the obvious one that jumps out in terms of like who is a titan of industry would be Craig Ballantyne. Uh, he is a giant 
in the internet marketing world. I didn't even realize it when I interviewed him because he's also known as a thought leader in in the self-help space. But uh, yeah, he's massive. I would say John Lee Dumas, who also was on our show, is massive. And these are guys that I admire because they're, I mean, earning Fortune 500 CEO salaries but not having to run publicly traded Fortune 500 companies. What about your favorite podcast, Jonathan? Yeah, I uh, I really like the Tim Ferriss show and I love marketing. Uh, Rob Wolf's Paleo Solution podcast is also uh, a favorite. So I would say those. And I want to ask you about some unconventional books, books that you've come across that have really opened your eyes to either becoming superhuman or uh, in any aspect of life that you respect? Yeah. Um, a lot of the books, I, I tend to have a policy that I follow the wisdom of the crowd. So a lot of the books that have most impacted my life are, you know, the ones that you would expect, the ones that millions of people have given a, a thumbs up vote on. Uh, so let me pick one that's not super mainstream. Do you consider Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman, to be mainstream? No, I've never even heard of it. Okay, read it. Read okay. it. <laughs> it's uh, the first autobiography, he wrote a few, of Richard Feynman, who's, as I said, one of the most genius super learners ever to walk the earth, and not just because he made a number of discoveries in quantum mechanics and physics that are still being taught to this day. Uh, he was just an amazing all-around superhuman so that's a really, really good one. Uh, the E-Myth Revisited, do we consider that one mainstream? I, I'd i say so, yeah. It's on the edge. Yeah, It's yeah. on the edge. It's a good book, though. And then uh, A New Earth is very much considered the mainstream. It's it like is. one of Oprah's favorite but a, books. But a phenomenal book, nonetheless. I'm trying to think, what are the kind of really esoteric ones that I've read I, I tend to read a lot. I'll binge and I'll read like a book a week for a while and then I'll, oh, I've got one for you. Okay. Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. Uh, it is by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And if anyone in the audience is having difficulty finding their soulmate and getting into a healthy relationship, read that book. I know about six people who have read it and everyone who's read it and done all the work in it has ended up in a relationship with their person, myself included. Wow. So how long? How long and I was from, single nine years. <laughs> how long from when you read the book until you got found the person? I didn't even make it through half the book. Really? And I met my current partner, Limor, and she's wonderful. How long, um, how long but I finished the guys, book anyway. How long have you guys been together? We are coming up on a year now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Let me give you one more non-conventional book before we switch gears. Please And do. that is uh, The Boron Letters, Gary Halbert. If you are in business and you want people to buy your products, read that book. He, he was the greatest copywriter of all time, hands down. A close second, I would say, you know, are, are the Robert Collier's, Frank Kearns, and Dan Kennedy's. But uh, yeah, read that book. Ah, uh, yeah, I've heard about it. I heard it was an amazing book. I'm going to have to check that one out for sure. So we're going to shift a little bit and talk about the theme of this podcast series, Building Seven-Figure Location Independent Businesses. And I really respect this idea because I know there's a lot of location-independent entrepreneurs out there that earn the hustle. Maybe they're in earning $1,000 a month. Maybe they're in earning $50,000 a month. And 
all these entrepreneurs, one way or the other, really want to get to the next level and build business more rapidly. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that have hit that five-figure level trying to get to that six-figure or six-figure level trying to get to that seven-figure. So being a superhuman that you are, Jonathan, I would love for you to share some things specifically about learning faster in business. Yeah, well, so I'll I'll reshape it because the learning stuff we could go very very deep, but um, you know I, I talk about that all the time, and and I feel like for a business podcast I should give you some very specific how to learn for business stuff, um, and I would say that the first thing that you should learn in your business is learning how to manage, and and probably alongside that at the same time because I kind of classify them together is learning how to design processes, thinking deliberately about your business in a way, and this is, you know, right from the E-Myth Revisited, but once you learn how to design processes and create a business, because what is your business actually, right? It's not your logo, and it's not your website, and it's not even your products. Your business is a set of logical rules that we call processes, and if you think about what makes Apple a great brand, it's they have a set of processes where they go into a room, and they do whatever they do, God knows, you know, they smoke weed or, or, you know, they have a bunch of weird paintings on the wall. Nobody really knows how Johnny Ive does what he does. But when he comes out of the room, the most innovative products in the world come out. You know, what makes Nike such an amazing company is they have these processes for recruiting the world's best athletes and designing products together and so on and so forth. What makes McDonald's so successful is they have processes where they can roll out 1500 restaurants a day right? They have the contract set. They have all the terms set. They know exactly how it's done. It's clockwork. And you need to emulate that in your business. And you need to emulate that from day one because every entrepreneur knows, and I, I learned this at age 16, by the time you need to hire someone, it is too late and you are too busy to design processes for them. And I used to brag to my other entrepreneur friends that, well, employees at my company get a trial by fire. It's like, you're hired. Can you start tomorrow? Here's the phone. Right? I don't have time to train you. You'll learn on the job. And that's garbage. So the first thing you can do is is learn how to design processes and dig your wells before you're thirsty. So that, you know, we just hired a new uh, a new team member to handle all our customer service chats. I've talked to this person once. And then everything else is done by processes. Now, we've discovered by virtue of doing this that there's a lot of stuff missing in our processes and we need to improve it because she didn't fully understand how each one of our products worked and where you go to link the customer. And so we're improving our processes. But in theory, I should be able to hit the hire button and check in with them two weeks later and say, how's everything going? And uh, just think how much time that's going to save you in growing your business. So that that's where I would start your learning. <laughs> I think that's a great suggestion. Um, what about the entrepreneurs that are out there that don't that are not good at designing processes. What are some suggestions or some alternative options for them? Yeah, I I kind of don't buy the not good at argument. Like I'm not good at math, but I once I realize that I need to stop saying I'm not good at math and stop giving myself this kind of what I call the intellectual golem effect, I became good at it. And and I used to say, you know, I'm not good at writing sales copy. And I stopped saying that and I, I picked up a book and I learned about it. I think as an entrepreneur, you need to be a, a plumber and you need to know how to connect all different pieces of your business. And it is completely fine. I mean, one of the first things they teach you when you get into an elite MBA program is very smugly, I might add, look, you're never actually going to do your own accounting. 
but you need to know what to look for when someone else does it. You need to know how to ask the right questions and you need to know how to point out the flaws. And that's true in, in my business as well. You know, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I have no idea what's going on in our support chats right now. And I don't, I don't know, you know, is our 30 day money back policy flexible if someone's an hour over? I actually don't know because I didn't set those policies. Uh, I trained other people on how to do them. What I will say is uh, processes are not not as difficult as you think, right? It's it's very simple, and I like the way that Michael Gerber describes it. Is when you start out, you don't have anybody, so you're doing everything. So just document it, right? If 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 you start to learn that a specific kind of email allows you to get accepted to different podcast interviews, then codify that email. Try a hundred different things, record the one that works. And that's it. I, and some of our processes, although a process sounds so very formal, there are literally hundreds of videos of me going, hey team, today I'm going to teach you guys how to readjust someone's webinar schedule. A lot of times people contact us and say that they can't make it to the webinar. So here's what you do. You click here, you go there, you do this, you know, simple screen recording. Um, but that's, I, I'm recording that once I've already figured out the best way to do it. And I really think as an entrepreneur, you have to dance this fine line because you need to know how everything works in your business, but yet you need to have the confidence and the guts to delegate it as soon as possible because too many entrepreneurs end up doing everything five years into their business. And that's why they're working in their business and not on their business. Beautifully so, put. That was a lot all at once. That was great. No, no, no. That was great, great, great tips. Okay, John, and then we're going to wrap up there, but I want to ask you, is there anything else that you'd like to share about becoming superhuman or anything that you guys have going on with the listeners? Yeah. So we just recently launched the Branding You Academy, a good friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Anthony Metivier. And basically what that is, is an all access pass behind the kimono to understand how we've grown seven figure media businesses. We've put our minds together and we've really done the work to explain to people step by step, how do you create the best video quality courses online? How do you launch the podcast? How do you, uh, as far as we know, no one's ever put all this information together. It's 14 courses on every aspect of running a digital media business and growing it to seven figures. And so if people are interested in the content creation space, in writing books and sharing their knowledge, that would be a really place, great place to start. It's just brandingyou.academy. And then if people want to check me out, they can visit jle.vi and learn really all about all the different projects. I'm running three different course companies and a podcast. And so all that stuff is right up there. Sounds good. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. Jonathan, I have to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and your tricks and all your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining the show. We wanted to remind you about our Get Shit Done one-on-one -on -one productivity coaching that we recently just launched. What we do is work with you to create big business goals that are absolutely game changers. We make a plan together and put you in our productivity hacking system that helps you stay on target. Each week, you get a call with yours truly about what steps to take for the following week. Some say it's like a year of productivity in just three months. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching. Thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching.